Hey, how are you doing? Right. It's good to see you. Hey, everybody, how are you? Yes. I think the theme of the weekend is he won't. He won't fail. I'm going to say that every message this weekend. He won't. What a great song. Yes. And then the song about when things feel dark in your life or my life, what's it our response to be? Praise. Just give it up to Jesus and praise his name. Why? Because he won't fail us. Ever. So I was watching the Padres play a few nights ago. There we go. All right. Oh, you're a Padre fan. Yes. I want them to go. So I, I'm not going to talk about the sport of it at all because it gets overdone over and over again with me. I'm going to talk about the crowd that I saw there on TV. They were amazing. They were lit up. They were on fire. And what stood out to me was at baseball games, there's an organist that plays the organ. And the, whoever was playing at that game that night, he could only play three notes, and the crowd was singing whatever that song was immediately, like that. 50,000 plus. And it just stunned me. Why? Because they knew it. They knew that tune. They knew that rhythm. They knew that pulse in an instant. And man, I feel the same is true for us. We know more than we let on. We know the answers. We know the things of life that calls us to be men. We know that rhythm, that tune, that sound. And the question is, what, what do we do with that? I like listening to men worship. Because it's a collective symphony to me. It just hear it. To stop me stop singing. And just listen to what I'm hearing, the words of the song being sung by hundreds of men. I'm here this weekend because I'm broken. When, whenever I am invited to speak for a men's retreat, I shudder in my bones because I'm insecure. I don't do manly things. I can't change the oil in my car. I can't push a lawnmower to mow a lawn. I can't do things that men do or typically do, and I feel inadequate this weekend. But I know that that's a lie. And it feels sometimes that in our lives, man, we believe lies that we're not good enough. 
not worth it. But he won't. He won't fill us with what he's called us to do at once. I love you, Mark. And this is where I started my speaking career. And I didn't know that I would ever be a speaker because it's ironic that my speech is crazy to understand. And yet for the last 22 years, I've been a motivational speaker. And I wrestle with how in the world can this authority use somebody broken like me? I can't hide behind my brokenness because you see it. I need help up the stairs. I need help carrying my plate at the night hall to, to, so that I can sit down at the table to eat. I trip, I, I fall, I stumble. I'm not eloquent of words. And I feel so inadequate, even after 22 years of doing this. But I love the opportunity. Because I realized that through it all, he won't on Chris Simpson's life. He won't fill me. And whenever I feel dark or times of depression, I need to praise his name. Because that's when the light comes into my soul. I love the word impossible because if you break that word up, you get I'm possible. I'm possible through Jesus Christ. Wow, I love you guys. You're awesome. I, I don't get feedback like this when I speak. All right, keep it going. So I want to, I want to say a message tonight that I will admit I've given probably over 500 times. And I don't know if any of you in this room have heard it. But if you have, I hope that you get something new from it because even though I've lived this message in my soul, I always learn every time I deliver it. It's my life story. And if I don't say my life story throughout this whole weekend, I'm going to get questions from you guys. So what happened to you? And I'm going to answer you, Nothing. What happened to you? <laughs> We're going to be in the Book of John this weekend for my scenarios, and Phil will do another passage of scripture. But my three sessions will be in the Book of John. Why, John? Because I like the way he tells stories. What I like about John is he is bold to admit it. He says that he is a disciple that Jesus loves. And that cracks me up because when I first read about that, I thought he was a narcissist. I'm like, who do you think you are? But I think what happens is, is he's claiming it. Because he knows the power that's always his son. He won't. He won't fail me. Not now. Why? Because he loves me. I am that disciple that he loves.
And you are too, men. But some of you this weekend need to speak it and own it. Because some of you are living in your failures. Some of you are living in your brokenness. Some of you are still beggars when God has called you to royalty. Some of you are prisoners when he is wanting to set you free, to run as free. So John 5, the story that changed my life and put my life back on cars with Jesus Christ. Let's read it. John 5, chapter 1, we'll go through 1 through 15. It says, after this, there was a feast of the Jews. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there's a Jerusalem by the sheep gate and pool in our bed called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. And in these lay a multitude of invalids. Wow, that's pretty much. Blind, lame, and paralyzed. And when he was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw blind there he, and knew that he had already been there for a long time, he said to him, do you want to get well? Stop. That's so obvious, Jesus. Why would you ask him that? He's sitting at this place called the Pool Bethesda. What was Bethesda? It was a pagan place. It was a place where all kinds of people with infirmities, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, would come to this place because they believed that there was power in the water that was in the pool of Bethesda. And they would sit really close by the edge of it, thinking this, that if an angel of the Lord would swoop down and stir the waters, the first person in the pool would be the one that would be miraculously healed. And here we're introduced out of all the crowd that day to one man, which I find intriguing. One man only, not the crowd, just one individual. We don't know his name. And Jesus walks up to him, and he knows that he he has been in this condition for a long time, and he has the guts to say to him, do you want to get well? <laughs> Duh! <laughs> Why do you think I'm here? My life story begins this way. I was born, that's pretty bright, right? But, uh, when I was five years old, I was in kindergarten, and my teacher called my mother one afternoon and said, did you know this about your son? He can't cut a straight line with scissors. He can't even tie his own shoes. And when he picks up a bitter pencil, he trimmers. Whenever he writes the letters of the alphabet, they're not legible. You can't read what he's writing. And he can't keep the letters within the margins of the notebook paper line on the big construction paper sheet. 
did you know this about your son? Why, yes, I did. I even brought that up to my, his doctor, and his doctor said, well, he's just a little bit delayed. He'll grow out of it. I don't think so, she said. So I was diagnosed with fibroid CP at the age of five, several palsy. And the only thing that it affected was I tremor in my hands. And still to this day, I can't write with a bitter pencil. If I put a picture or a piece of paper, it would just go all over the place. I get possessed or something. I don't know what's going on. So I always had to type. Remember typewriters? Electric typewriters? They made a racket. And so in elementary school, I had to use an electric typewriter and plug it into the outlet. Remember pop quizzes? Yes. You'd have to clear your desk at any given moment, take out a blank sheet of paper, and get ready to write because the teacher was going to quiz you on the subject that you were studying. And a teacher, she did this. All right, class, clear off your desks. Chris, turn on your typewriter, put in a piece of paper that will. We're having a pop quiz. Again, no, not again, again. And she made it easy. It was true or false statements about the subject. So you had a 50% chance that you would be right. <laughs> but my friends learned another trick. Chris is smart. He knows this. Let's just listen to the tapping of the keys. <laughs> and she would read a statement. That's five times. F-A-L-S-E. That's false, but false, but false. I loved it. And every year I was told I had the best championship of the whole class. Well, of course. That didn't stop me. I kind of became prideful that I wasn't a typist, that I didn't get right. I loved that. Then in eighth grade, I go to bed one night, and I wake up the next morning, and I couldn't lift up my head. And overnight, my life has changed just like that. And I woke up the next morning, and my... I had been so far forward that my chin was touching my chest and I couldn't lift it back up. And the remnants of all that is what you see right now. That is what you see. You don't see my CP. You see what is called another disability, torsional dystonia, the twisting of my torso. So from my eighth grade year to my senior year of high school, I didn't see a better day. Every day got progressively worse. I mean, this is why I walk the way that I do right now. I used to get outrun a lot of people by school when I was younger. This is how I speak the way that I speak because my vocal cords have been twisted. And my life caved. caved. I didn't know how to cope with this. I like what Jesus says to this man in verse 6. 
Do you want to get, do you want to be healed? There's two pictures I want to show you really quick. The first picture is of me with my white tape writer. Man, I feel so innocent then. The next picture is a yearbook photo. That's my freshman year. See how my head is a little bit cockeyed? That's the ribbon of this disease starting to set in when I woke up with it in eighth grade. As I read that story when I was that age, I got mad at God because this miracle made no sense to me. Of course he wants to be healed. Why would you even ask such a question? He's sitting at the banks of the pool, but that's it. He's so close. And verse 7 goes on with the story. It says this. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm trying, go, going, I'm going another steps. Someone st steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. And now the day, that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. The Jews says, the Jews meaning the Greek word for the religious leaders of that faith. If that's what they said. His response was quite legitimate, to be honest. I have no one to help me to the water when it gets stirred up. While I'm trying to get in, somebody else goes down and steps in front of me. In my Bible, there's no verse 4. It goes from verse 3 to verse 5 in this miracle. Because a footnote in my Bible says that it is the angel of the Lord that they were relying on. Some type of angel that would stir the water within, but it was all a pagan place. And then Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, walks into the scene and he changes everything. And he tells him to take up his bed and go. Why? Because he won't give up on you. He wants to set some of you free this weekend. Maybe it's shame. Maybe it's guilt. Maybe it's a circumstance that you're stuck in trying to figure out, but it's robbing you of joy. Your journey could be in a place that you don't want to be. Verse 6. But my next point is this. The baggage on your journey it might be paralyzing you. It might be imprisoning you. Because verse 8 says it. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed, and walk. What happened to the poor Bethesda? It diminished in the background because that didn't matter. 
It was Jesus' words that mattered. I'm sick of society today. We're in so many lies. So many things about what it means to be tolerant of this or that. We just need Jesus' words to transform all of that. Here's two more pictures I want to show you. That's me in a wheelchair at senior year. I'll sit here with this picture for a moment. Everybody was going to the prom, except for me. And I had a, a very attractive young lady who was a senior in high school like I was. And my senior year of high school, when I was confined to a wheelchair I had, I called them <laughs> my pushers. They were basically pushed by a wheelchair from one class to the other. So I had six periods. So I had six different pushers. And Angie was my fifth pusher of the day, every day for a whole year. And we got to know each other. And she, she got to recognize the back of my head pretty well because she was pushing me and I would look forward. And one day she said, I have a question I want to ask of you. Will you go to the prom with me? And my response was, no. And she goes, well, what, you're rejecting me? No, I'm not rejecting you, I'm rejecting me. You don't want to go with someone like me. You're too beautiful. You can go with any guy you want. Don't pick me. She goes, but I choose you. She had a boyfriend who was in the military who was out of high school. But she really liked me as a friend. And she goes, will you go with me? I already have it figured out. Women have everything figured out. <laughs> she already had it figured out. We were getting a double date. And the boyfriend of... Her friend's date was agreed to help me in the bathroom, to help me lift me up out of the wheelchair, put me in a car so that we could go to the dance, to go out to dinner. And so I went. And when it came time to dancing, I, I gave Angie, I told her, go outside, I'll, I'll enjoy watching people. And she said, nah. -uh. And see, I released my brakes on the wheelchair and pushed me out on the dance floor. And we literally boogied. <laughs> and she was buffed. She was muscular. So we were popping willies. We were spinning in 360s. We danced. Here's a picture of Angie. Sweet, huh? I lost touch with her. And three years ago, I was speaking in Vacaville, California, kind of by where I grew up. And guess who was at church? Angie. 
married with three children, maybe two kids. It was so good to see her. So good. The story goes on in verse 11. But he answered that the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. So they posed a little bit further. Who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. And after Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, afterward Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well again, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. And the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And we'll stop right there and I'll finish up the story. Everybody's all wanting to get Jesus and trap him in his ways. And it's no different with the religious leaders of the Jews that day. They were concerned that somebody was healed and life changed on the Sabbath. They were too worried about their rest of their laws. And Jesus was concerned about giving grace upon grace. And what I like about this miracle is that the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, have similar stories. They have similar miracles, similar parables that are spoken about. One author writes about this, another writes about that. John is the only Gospel writer that even mentions the pool of Bethesda. And remember... He makes the bold claim that he is the disciple that Jesus loves. And what is the poem with us now? It's a location about brokenness. It's a location about prisoners who are stuck in their infirmities. It's a story about Chris Simning who was trapped in my body that I can't control, thinking there was no hope for my life or no purpose for my being. And God started to work in my life to begin to change all of that. It meant we all have masks that we carry around. Just like this able man at the pool, but that's in that day. He was lying on the, the reference here in this scripture is his bed. But really, it's a mat. And he was stuck on it. And he was looking for answers. And he was looking for some kind of hope, something to alleviate his. his Quandary of life. And that's when Jesus enters into a conversation with them. And this weekend, I believe Jesus wants to enter into a conversation with you. And the first words that he's whispering today is, He won't. He won't. Ever fail you.
He wants your mat. He wants that bed. He wants that thing that's breaking you. For some of you, he wants you to let go of whatever you've been holding on to for so long. You just can't let it go. And maybe he wants to free you of that. And my last point tonight is this. Embracing your journey This may be more of a blessing than it is a curse. I like being me. I think it's fun because I get to play around with people's heads. <laughs> I get to milk things. It's pretty sweet. But I struggle. I have insecurities. One of them is I'm a perfectionist. And I figured out why just a few months ago. I'm a perfectionist to the utmost core because I want to compensate for what I think is insecure about me. I hate the word stupid. Whenever I feel like people are staring at me, I feel like in their minds they're calling me stupid. He must be stupid because look at the way he walks. Look at the way he talks. He doesn't matter in this society. He's one of those people. And that's all on me. That's probably not what they're thinking at all. But that's what's projected to me. And I hate it. And so why am I a perfectionist? Because I want to prove everybody wrong. And whenever I make a mistake, God forbid you make a mistake, I get depressed. Because I didn't do it right. God wants me to embrace my journey, man. And he wants me to realize that my journey is more of a blessing than it is a curse. Last two pictures tonight. One is at a wheelchair Olympics. I went from a push wheelchair to memorize one, if you ever get the chance to stay in one, they're quite fun. <laughs> Mine went eight miles an hour. Yeah, loved it. But race? <laughs> Last picture is a swim meet. I came in dead last, but the ribbons say first place over my ears. That's a lie. I got dilated the water. But I show that picture because it's ironic that my life story would revolve around the miracle of the pool, but that's the because it's the pool swimming 
that God used to heal me. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm healed. And I love saying that to people because it just rattles their heads. <laughs> healed? You're not healed, look at you. You know what I tell them? <laughs> You're not healed either, look at you. I got involved in swimming at a community college just to be with other people with disabilities. That's it. Just to be active. I didn't think it would do anything. And there was a time in my life where I told the Lord, okay, okay, I'm done being angry. I'm done being bitter. God, make me better. I want to follow you. And if that means being in a wheelchair for the rest of my life, I don't like it, but okay. That's wrong. Get to get walk. That's wrong. <laughs> and God took that to heart, I guess. Because I started swimming in the water. I started in a life vest and I was floating on my back and I like the backstroke because you can breathe whatever you want. <laughs> and I got really comfortable in the pool. I had two assistants that would be on either side of me and they would stretch my arms and my legs. And one day they stopped being near me and let me be on my own. And I started to do the backstroke, and I started to do laps all by myself in a lifetime, of course. And I loved it. And I got really comfortable with it, that it became a routine. And one day, my PE teacher jumped in, and she swam up to me, and I'm doing the backstroke, and I'm thinking, why is she, what is she doing here? Get away, get away. <laughs> And you know when people swim, they create a wake? When she was creating a wake, and she's getting close to me, and my mouth was open. <laughs> what are you doing? And she said, today's the day. Today's the day for what? I'm going to take the life vest off of you and teach you to swim. Like you could when you were younger. I heard it. <laughs> I heard it. You know what I told her? <laughs> Today is not that day. <laughs> and she said, why not? I said, because I'm comfortable. I know the routine. And she said, well, sometimes that routine has to go. It's time to get rid of the life jacket. And I never forget that phrase. The same is true for us men. Maybe some of us are wearing life jackets. We're really good at our routines. And we're really good at what we do. And we have really good 
resources to compensate for what we lack. We figured it out. But maybe God wants us to get rid of the life vest this weekend. Because he wants to set us truly free. Maybe you're holding on to something this weekend. So they t- she takes the life vest off of me. And my teacher teaches me to swim like I could when I was younger. If they then stood me up in the water, and they grabbed my arms out in front of me, and they began to rock me like this to get a walking motion in, in, in me. And I began to take steps in the water. I didn't take steps on the water. I'm not Peter. I took steps in the water. <laughs> and about two and a half years of being involved in swimming, Two to three days a week when the season was right and warm enough to swim, I started to walk on land. And eventually I got rid of the wheelchair. And here I am. Journeys. We all have them, don't we? They could be in a place that we may not want to be. The baggage of our journey might be paralyzing us. But maybe this weekend God wants us to embrace whatever that journey is, good or bad. That's beyond our control. And maybe start to see it in a different light. Maybe it's more of a blessing than you think it is a curse. Because God's doing something within your being. Why? Because he won't. He won't fail you. And when you feel gloomy and dark in life, the remedy is to praise Praise him. And then that sounds opposite. But he's the light of our lives. We are the people that he loves. As John writes poetically. I think he, the Boston John knows exactly what he was writing when he wrote that statement. I am the disciple whom Jesus loved. I mean, Jesus loves you so much. And he wants you to take up your bed and walk. You know what I get from this miracle? A question. What happened to his bed? What happened to his bed? It doesn't say. I wonder if he took it with him. But it didn't divide him anymore. But maybe God wanted him to take it with him. God wants me to take my disability with me. Because he wants to use it. 
Many of us see use your circumstances in a way that will set you free. Because he, he won't. He won't fail you. I just want this weekend, my, my heart for you. So you would just let go of whatever is tugging at your soul. That you would relinquish it and be free of it. Knowing that it's not about you, but it's about His grace upon grace extended to you. Because He took care of it. But I just want you to get up off your mat and walk. I'm not asking you to sprint. I'm not asking you to run. Walk. That's hard to do. But with praise and faith, Jesus covers all that. We just have to believe. Amen. God, thank you for these men. God, thank you for that miracle at the pool, Bethesda. A man who's saved we never get to know. But a man who is not like most of us in this room. Got to pray for our mats, our beds, the things that are holding us from being free. And I ask, Lord, that you would help us to see whatever that journey is in a different way. And that the baggage that we're holding on to would just lighten its load. Because you won't, those. So Lord, I pray for the men in this room that they would find a freedom and something so transforming about this weekend that they had never considered about their lives before. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. And thank you for this disciple that Jesus loved, that he would write about this miracle at the pool Bethesda. Because it's changed my life forever. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.